this morning with you, uh, and uh, if you are watching online, great to have you this morning as well. So uh, my name is Tyra Kofeji. I'm one of the uh, members here. I've been here for about 16 years. Uh, I joined the church when my oldest was two, and now she's about to go off to uni uh, in, in September. So uh, I know I don't look it, but uh, I am getting on a bit in age. Um, but um, we've had a, 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 a fantastic um, series so far with Game Changers, and uh, no, no pressure this, this service, because I've got my family, wife, kids here, but also my mom, sister f- from, the, from the States with her, with her kids as well, so there's no pressure <sighs> at all. But um, my Game Changer today is Esther, and I'm going to be sharing briefly. I'm just going to check the time because I, I failed woefully in the first service to keep to time, so I'm going to try my best this service to try and finish in 15 minutes. But Esther is a fantastic story in the Bible, and I don't, if you haven't had a chance to read through it, I would encourage you to take some time. It will take you maybe sort of 20 minutes to read through the whole book of Esther. It's 10 chapters, not very long at all, and it's in a narrative style, which just means it's written like a story. So it's, it's, it's like, you know, if you're reading a, don't read your Bible like a novel, but it's narrative, so you can read it as a story. Uh, and, and there's just a bit of trivia for you. If you read the book of Esther, you will not find the name of God mentioned once. You will not even find anything about the Messiah or about the plan for God's salvation of his people. But nonetheless, throughout the book of Esther, as you read the story, you will see God's hand at work in every aspect of that story. So God was always behind the scenes, turning things and working things out. And, and in, in, in Christianity and in Christian parlance, I guess there's, there's something called the providence of God, which is what we're talking about here. I heard a saying this week that big doors swing on little hinges. So no matter where you are or no matter what you th- you're doing and how insignificant or little you might think it is, you can have a big impact with what you're doing if God is involved. And the providence of God means that God is always at work. So we all know the scripture that says that God is at work within us, both to will and to do of his good purpose. So that's the providence of God. God is always behind the scenes. I saw this uh, definition by John Piper. Hopefully it will come up on the screen as well. It says, The almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby by his hand he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures, and so governs them and acknowledging that all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. So God upholds all things by his fatherly hand. That's the providence of God. So I'm going to go through quickly... Just uh, in a few minutes, set the scene for you in the book of Esther, and then we're going to read from uh, a portion of scripture, and then I'm going to share a few lessons from the life of Esther, if that's okay. So the scene setting, so this is, this is the, the, around 450 or 480 BC, we think, roughly. Esther is an orphan girl. She's a Jew. Uh, and at this point in time in the Jews' history, uh, they had been taken into exile uh, by the Babylonians. So they're now they're living in Persia, which in the current days is around Iran. And the Bible tells us that this period, the Persian Empire is massive. It's really powerful. So they run all the way from around the Middle East down to some parts of Africa. That's how big the empire was. So there's, there's Esther, or in a Hebrew name, Hadassah. She's there. She's an orphan, lost mom and dad at some point along the way. But she has a cousin called Mordecai, and he's a bit older, so he adopts her, takes her into his, under his wing. And they're living in Persia, uh, and um, 
At the same time, there's a king called Xerxes, who's a really opulent king. Uh, and Xerxes decides to have a, a big feast for all his, his people. And this feast goes on for 180 days, six months. <laughs> so I said to Mark in the first service, I mean, I want to be there. And if you're a Nigerian like me, you know that we know how to throw parties. Nigerians, come on, give me a wave if you're Nigerian in the house. We know how to throw parties, but we've got nothing on King Xerxes because his party was six months long. And not just that, he finished that and then had another seven-day party for the people in his palace as well. And at the same time, Queen Vashti was having her own party for her handmaiden. So this is a whole, whole series of feasting and, and partying going on. And uh, just as this was happening, you know, the king says, after seven days, bring Vashti down. I want her to come and, you know, meet my friends, show her off because she's very pretty. But Vashti is busy. She says no. So the king gets really upset, goes into a tantrum, as sometimes men do, <laughs> throw tantrums. Uh, he throws a tantrum and says, okay, what should I do with her? She's upset me. And his, his buddies say to him, you know, let's get rid of her. She can't be queen anymore. She's, she's disobeyed you. You know, that's it. Let's get rid of her. And we're going to throw a beauty pageant and get you a new queen. Sounds good to King Xerxes. So he says, fine, go ahead. And so they, they start this beauty pageant. It's Miss Persia. And they have all the, all the young women uh, of a certain age brought to the capital in Susa. Uh, and they're going to put them through 12 months of beauty treatments. I don't know about you, but I'm not sure how many mani-pedis you can have. <laughs> but this is 12 months of treatments, and they keep going. They go to the spa. They have all these treatments. And after 12 months, each girl goes into King Xerxes, and eventually it's Esther's turn, turn to go into the king. But what we see in this whole story is that while all this is going on, God is obviously at work because God is giving Esther favor. So the Bible says that Esther found favor with Haggai, who was the eunuch in charge of the harem at Susa. So Esther found favor and he gave her a special place in the harem. He gave her handmaidens to support her. And then when it was her turn to go to the king, uh, she went with his blessing and then found favor with the king and eventually became the queen. So this is an orphan girl who's a Jew in a foreign land in Persia, and has become the queen. And that's the providence of God. So God at work behind the scenes. And the story doesn't end there because we're introduced in Esther chapter 3 to the bad guy. So Haman is a bad guy. He's he's sort of of the prime minister in Persia at the time. And then he, he... decides that he wants everybody to bow to him because he's very important. But Mordecai, who's Esther's cousin, doesn't bow to him. And so Haman gets really angry and decides not just to kill Mordecai, but actually wants to kill the whole of the, of the Jews, the Jewish people. And so he gets the king to write a decree and a law that says all the Jews are going to be killed at this, in this month, uh, in about 12 months' time. And Mordecai is upset. He wears ashes, uh, wears, you know, horrible clothes and it's morning. Uh, and so we pick up the story in Esther chapter 4, verse 7. So Esther knows that Mordecai is mourning and he's not happy. So she's asking what's going on. So Mordecai in, in verse 7 says, uh, Mordecai told him, that's Esther's messenger, everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. 
verse 9. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has only one law, that they be put to death, unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have now passed since I was called to go to the king. Verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house that you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Fantastic story. And that sort of rags to riches story is very, it's something that could be in one of the Disney movies. So you have your Mulan, Pocahontas, all these stories about princesses. And this is almost like one of those. But in this case, it doesn't end there because, you know, if you read the rest of the story, Esther goes into the king. The king gives her favor. She tells the king what's going on. Haman gets killed. All his sons get killed. The Israelites defend themselves and they survive. And that's, that's a fantastic story to, to read. But there's a few lessons I want to highlight and bring out for us today uh, from the life of Esther. Number one. And we've heard it already from John's message this morning, and we heard it in a few of the other messages. The first lesson from Esther's life is that your past does not define your future. So where you've started from, or where you come from, or whatever's happened in the past, is not what determines where you end up. Because our future is determined not by our experiences and our, or our heritage or our birth or circumstances. It's determined by God. Jeremiah 29:11 says, I know the plans and the thoughts that I have for you. They're thoughts to give you a hope and a future. Yeah. And, and in actual fact, in Esther's case, she went from nothing to become the queen. And for some of us, sometimes it's easy to mistake the position for purpose. So God had a purpose, and the future for Esther was to deliver the Jews from, from that um, annihilation in Persia. But, for, but sometimes we can mistake the position. So she could have thought to herself, oh, I've arrived. I'm now the queen. And that could have easily been where she stopped. But the future God had for her was purpose to deliver them. It just so happened that to deliver the people, she had to become queen. In the story that John shared about Joseph, it was the same. The, the, the end result or the, the future that God had for Joseph was to deliver his people, his family, but also deliver people from the famine. And it just so happened he had to become the prime minister and go through all of those. And the, if you're a Christian and a believer today, your future is determined on the purpose that God has for you, not on your past. When you get to Christ, your past has to go through the cross. And do you know what happens when your past gets to the cross? It is finished. That's not me saying that. That's the Bible telling us. 1 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. Not some things, not most things, but all things have become new. Your future is new. It's not written. Job chapter 8 verse 7. 
Even though you are not much right now, Job's friends were telling him, this is after Job has lost everything, you will end up better than ever. That's the promise that we have from God. Whatever your beginning is, whatever you started with, wherever you're from, whether it's a broken home, whether it's not finishing school, whether it's some some difficulty, you are going to end up better than before. That's the promise we have from God. And I was telling, I was telling uh, people in the first service as well that I tend to watch psychological thrillers. So I like all this. And my wife always walks in when there's blood and dead bodies around. But there's, some, there's something called uh, profiling. And if you watch any of these, you will have heard this term. And they look at people's past and they sort of use that to determine who, what they're going to be like in the future. So people that come from either not being loved enough as a child or from um, having been abused as a child, sometimes they become delinquents or they become you know, serial killers or whatever. And there's a profile that says, if your past is this way, your future is going to be that way. But I tell you today, when you come to know Jesus, whatever your past is, your future does not always follow what your past is predicting. Because Jesus changes and rewrites our futures. The second, second lesson from the life of Esther is that who we listen to influences where we end up. Who we listen to influences where we end up. And Esther, in, in this story, listened to Mordecai and to, to her people when they were in, in difficulty. And then she did something that obviously changed history. But who do you listen to? And I know so for some of us, we are very used to, oh, it's just me and God. All I need is God, and that's fine. But we've heard so many times on this pulpit that we are built for community. We are meant to do life together. Nobody's an island. You keep saying, Pastor Mark, that, you know, even Lone Ranger had Tonto. Is it Tonto? Yeah. You know, Batman's got Robin. We all need somebody. We all need people around us. But it's got to be the right people. Proverbs 13, verse 20. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 says, Two are better than one because they have a greater reward for their labor. If one falls, the other one can pull him up. But pity the person who falls and has no one to lift him up. And in King James, I believe it says, woe to him. <laughs> you need people around you. And I'm not saying we need authority figures that, that tell us what to do and we just obey, you know, we just do whatever they say. No, that's not what this is. And Esther didn't do that either. She, she went and she fasted and prayed, but she got people alongside her. And we've just been through a pandemic and people have struggled. People have been in challenging situations. And a lot of times I know of her, we were at the life group meeting, John, yesterday, and we heard about life groups that have come together and rallied around people and supported them. And in this church, we're blessed because we have a fantastic befriending team as well who, go, who have done an awful lot trying to reach out to people. And the pandemic we we're getting through is COVID, but there's another pandemic in the world and specifically in the UK. And I see it in my line of work as a, as a doctor. There's a pandemic of social isolation and loneliness in the world today that doesn't really get the headlines, but there is a problem because people tend to be lonely and isolated. And that brings its own challenges and problems. But I want to encourage you today, we need to surround ourselves with people and do community, do life together. Because God has made us for connection. We're not meant to be alone. The Bible says in Genesis, it's not good for man to be alone. And yes, we use that scripture for sort of weddings and man and woman. But equally, I believe that the scripture also applies to us as individuals. We are not meant to do life alone. So who's in your circle? Who are the people that you're connecting with that are speaking life and influencing where you end up? 
They don't determine your future, but they help you to get to where God wants you to be. And also when God wants to bless you, we often think that God is going to open heaven and pour out man. And of course, God can do that sometimes. But more often than not, God will use people. God will bring people into your circle to bless you and to increase you. Third point, as I quickly run out of time, we need tenacious faith for such a time as this. And I've used the word tenacious faith to give us that impression of, of I don't know if you, you know, tenacity, if you know what it means. It means being stubborn. But in this case, being stubborn in a good thing, not being stubborn in a bad way. But tenacious faith. And for such a time as this, because I believe in the world we live in, things seem to be getting darker and darker. But the Bible says in Proverbs 4.18 that our light is supposed to shine brighter and brighter. The path of the just is as a shining is. is the path of the just is as a shining light, shining brighter and brighter onto the perfect day. It's what the Bible says. And how many of you know that when it's getting to around dusk, it's sort of evening, and there's still a little bit of, of, of sun around or a little bit of moonlight coming through, and you shine a bright light, the impact is not quite as much. But if it's pitch black and you shine a bright light, the impact is immense. Big doors swing on little hinges. And the tenacious faith I'm talking about is not necessarily just when we are believing God for something, which is, which is fantastic, and we do need faith for those. So if you're believing for a new job, or you're believing for your healing, or you're believing for your child to get saved, of course you need faith, and, and real strong faith for that. But there's another aspect. In Romans 1.17, the Bible says, the just shall live by faith. And it's that daily faith walk, or daily faith life, that we need tenacious faith in. And tenacity in this context, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, there's a word that he uses in King James that says steadfastness. We don't use that anymore in the English language, but I love the word. Because it gives the connotation of something that's unshakable, something that's immovable. As in, it cannot, it cannot shift. Uh, family and I recently went to Wales, and we, we, we sort of had the fantastic walks, beautiful scenery in North Wales, and there's huge mountains. And went, we went up Mount Snowdon, three quarters of the way up, but we cheated because we took the train. We didn't walk it. But there's, there's rocks that have been there for thousands of years. They, they don't move. Unshakable, immovable. And the reason we need tenacious faith in our daily walk with God is for two reasons. One, because sometimes we have to wait for where God is taking us to, like Joseph did, like Esther did, like Rahab we heard a few weeks ago, and others, and Moses. Second reason is because we have an enemy who's walking around looking for whom he might devour. So we need tenacious faith. And God has tenacious love for us so god has unshakable immovable love for his people for you and i and the least we can do is have unshakable immovable commitment to him in in daniel chapter 3 verse 16 very similar to esther when esther said you know and now i'm ready i'm going to go to the king and if i perish i perish daniel chapter 3 verse 16 shadrach michigan and abednego had had been told to bow down to this idol that nebuchadnezzar had built and they said sorry we're not going to do that and they said well we're going to throw you into the fiery furnace and they said you know fine so be it throw us into the furnace but we know that our god is able to deliver us but even if he doesn't we are still not bowing down because our commitment to God, our trust in God is immovable. It's unshakable. And that's the same kind of trust we need to have in God today. So three lessons as I, as I round up this morning. 
and just a few thoughts. So what do you need to let go of in your past? There might be somebody here or maybe online that your past has been pulling you back or holding you down. What do you need to let go of? Because your future is different. And the purpose that God has for you means that you can have a different outcome to what people might have said. Who do you need to bring into your life and help you and help speak life to you to get you to where God wants you to be? We've talked about life groups. If you're not part of a life group in this church, I would strongly encourage you to join a life group. Join a service team because that's another group. Have accountability partners because they can help you to get you where God wants you to be. And then where, and then as a, as a group and as a church, can I encourage us all to join me in coming? And I'm not saying I've got this down. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not one that, you know, I'm not saying I've got all this nailed down. But join me in that commitment to say, you know what, God, I'm going to have tenacious faith. I'm going to have the kind of faith that, you know, come hell or high water, no matter what, it's you and I. And we can read in the book of Hebrews, all the heroes of faith. But the Bible says about halfway down that chapter, not all of them saw what they were believing for. But nonetheless, they still had faith and still continue to believe. And that's tenacious faith. It's not because of what we can get from God. Forget, that's, that's one aspect, but God is beyond that. Our, our commitment to God needs to be ongoing, unshakable, immovable. I hope you've been blessed this morning. I wish you all a fantastic week.